The reading is from the book of John, chapter 17, verses 1 to 19. And if you do have a church Bible, it's on page 1085. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them. By the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be as one, as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, your word. And the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Uh, Lord, thank you for Jonathan, for his willingness to serve you and us by coming to preach your words. And we trust that you've been with him during his preparation, you've been speaking to him, that your spirit has been guiding him. So as he preaches your word now, we would hear your voice. Lord, I pray for each of us, those who are hearing, would you give us ears that want to listen and hear, minds that can understand, and hearts that have a willingness to hear your word and obey it. Lord, would we know more of you through what Jonathan brings to us now? Amen. Great. Well, if you've got a Bible with you, um, and you can turn back and have a look at that, we're going to be following the passage quite closely. Um, But this is the next in our series uh, in the chapter 17 of John. Now, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this individual. He's a guy called Simon Sinek. Um, He's he's an American psychologist, um, and he's well known for probably doing one of the the best TED Talks ever, if you can call it TED Talks, and he's written a book um, called Starting With The Why. Now, what, what he talks about in this in this book and this talk, which is very interesting, is that most organisations or people start with the what that they, they, they do, and then they go on to describe how they do it, and then they end up with the why. 
But what he said is the really great organizations always reverse the principle. So, in other words, they, they reverse what's conventional, the what, the how, the why, and they start instead with the why. And an example of this is what happened at the turn of the 20th century with the Wright brothers. Now, unfortunately, I'm not related to these people. They share my surname. It's quite a common one. Um, but there were two competing groups at the start of the, of the 20th century who wanted to launch the first ever plane, uh, or effectively to, 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 to take off. Um, they, they'd never, ever managed to get a plane up before. And there was one individual called Gustav who had all the money behind him, all the resources behind him, all the power against a couple of guys with the surname Wright who owned a bike shop. And the difference between them was that the guys who owned the bike shop had all the passion and the desire and their mission was to prove that they were going to be the first people ever to get something off the ground and fly. And as we know in history, they were the ones that succeeded because they got people to buy into their mission. They knew why they were doing it. And, and how they did it and the, what they did were quite incidental to it because the centrality of their mission was why they did it originally. Now, as with many of these things, you think, well, this is quite an interesting concept in humanity. I wonder if Simon Sinek was the first person ever to come up with this. Well, you can see possibly where I'm going here. I think Jesus came up with this first because we're looking here at John chapter 17. Now, this is one of the, the, if you like, the, the greatest moments in, in the New Testament, I think. Because we, we know about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer really is the prayer that Jesus taught to the disciples as to how to pray. In truth, if we're being absolutely strict, really, the prayer that we've got here in John 17, which is the longest prayer of Jesus in the, that's recorded in the Gospels, is really the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus talking to God. Some chap called Martin Luther, you may have heard of him, said of this prayer, in proportion, as this prayer sounds plain and simple, it is in reality deep, rich and wide. I've got about 20 minutes to try and do it justice. You get the next five verses next week, um, but there's an awful lot to pack in here. But it is a glorious, glorious prayer, and it's an insight into how Jesus communicates with God the Father. And the diff- and this is the thing, Jesus starts with the why. He starts with his mission. So he begins by talking about giving glory to the Father. That is the reason for Jesus' mission here. That's the reason for the fact that the disciples are going to go out. It starts with giving glory to the father so in this he then is reveal reveals the father to his followers and then he sends out his followers into the world so we here have the power of prayer we talked last year as as part of our sort of vision gathering series on prayer and the and the power of prayer and the wonderful privilege that we have as christians to pray to the author of creation And here we see Jesus praying to his father. Verse 1, Jesus looked towards the heaven and prayed. He just spent the last three chapters in in the seminal moments in the upper room with the disciples, knowing that he was going to the cross. And he teaches them and he, he prepares them for the fact that he's going to be leaving them.
And this is, if you like, the epoch of, of, of that before Jesus is then arrested and goes to the cross. His last act before this is to pray to the Father. Now, when we talk about glory, what do we understand by glory? Well, a couple of years, a couple of years ago, three, three years ago, I believe, um, Anna and I went to Barcelona. Now, does anyone know what the name of this place is in Barcelona? It's not Barcelona. Brilliant. It's the Sagrada Familia. Now, the Sagrada Familia, I mean, this was my first glimpse of it as we walked up to it. You can see one or two cranes above it. It was started in 1882. It was intended to be completed around the time that the Wright brothers took flight. So around about 1900. It's now 2019, and it's still not finished. 137 years later. Now, they are hoping that by the 100th anniversary of Gaudi's death, and Gaudi was the architect on it, uh, 2026, it will finally be completed. Now, if you've ever been to Barcelona or ever thought about going, I thoroughly recommend going. It's a most remarkable place. But the, the amazing thing about it is that you only really appreciate what a beautiful place it is when you actually get inside. Because you walk inside and... You've got the most incredible light, the way they've done the windows. It's almost like walking into an enchanted forest as you walk inside. And you only really, when you get close and personal to the building, you actually really, truly appreciate the glory. But by virtue of visiting it, you can't make it any better than it is. It's something where you just go and savour what it is, because it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And when we turn to the uh, to, to what Jesus says in the passage, he says... In his prayer, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. See, by Jesus, by virtue of going to the cross, is going to bring God glory. He's not going to make God any more glorious. He's just going to enhance and shine a light on the glory of God's rescue plan for mankind. It's the Trinity in action. Verse 2, for you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. We have that wonderful gift, don't we, in verse 2, that gift of eternal life. Grace is a gift which brings glory to God. God is not obliged to, 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 to give us this gift of grace at all. He chooses to give it to us. And what is eternal life? Well, we see it in verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, the truth of eternal life is to truly know God and to truly know Jesus Christ. And that's why, as we were looking three weeks ago, it isn't enough just to know of God. Actually, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to truly know God as illuminated through the Spirit, the Trinity in action. And then we see in verse 4 that the, the ultimate point of the glory here is the cross. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus is already anticipating that he's going to be there. He's, he's going to go to the cross and that will be the ultimate point of glory. And actually, imagine picturing the cross. The, the idea, here was a man who was claiming to be king of the Jews, who they crucified in the most inhumane way on the cross. The idea that this would somehow bring glory to God, it's just an anathema. But actually the truth was, 
if they'd realised the significance of what Jesus was going to do. He was going to rescue all of mankind through going to the cross. Verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. You see, the cross was planned in eternity. Notice, before the world began. It was a pact between Father and Son that began then. Now, we turn to prayer, and and this is just the most wonderful model of prayer, because just think how often when we start our prayers, what do we do? Please, God, uh, I'm sorry for things I've done. Please can have this, or please can you sort me out here, or whatever. (laughs) When Jesus prays, how does he pray? He prays by giving glory to the Father, by giving thanks for what he has done. The fact that you know, Jesus himself is going to go to the cross to bring glory to the Father and, and focuses on this wonderful central point, which is the grace, the gift that he gives to each one of us whom are chosen. And isn't it wonderful that we have the ability to be able to talk to none other than the creator of the universe in prayer? And, and also as well, this fact that we can talk to our Father. Because the tragedy of, hu- of human beings is that none of us, none of us will have perfect fathers. Some of us have dreadful fathers. Some of us have, have reasonable fathers. But none of us has perfect fathers. And I can say this confidently knowing my sons are in the room today. I'm not a perfect father. And yet we all, if we choose to accept this, can approach the perfect father. We can give thanks for what the Father and the Son have done. And we can reflect on the fact, we can give thanks and praise for the fact that it is a free gift. A gift we did not deserve at all. And if we grab hold of this, and we realise what this is, this should have an impact on our lives. Just, Just out of sheer gratefulness. There's nothing we've done at all. Everything that God has done. So if we truly understand it, we truly understand the why, everything else, everything else in our lives should follow from this point. So Jesus starts with, 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 with the why, um, with the why he's, he's doing it. And then he moves on to the how, because he then moves on to pray for the disciples, because that is how Jesus is to convey his message. If you like, there's a baton passing here between Jesus, who's on earth, who knows he's going to leave very soon, to the disciples. Verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Just reflect on that for a minute. Because the pattern generally of God's followers in the Old Testament is not particularly great, is it? If you follow the, 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 the story of God's people in the Old Testament, the Jews, generally there's a few patterns of obedience, but mostly disobedience. Whereas here, you've got a group of 11 men, mostly uneducated, all poor, all from a variety of different backgrounds, and yet they unite. And what do they do? They listen and they obey. The disciples got it. They had that personal relationship with Jesus. 
and they got it. They obeyed him. Verse 8, for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Why was that? Why were they so convinced? Well, obviously the Holy Spirit was at work opening their eyes. But the point was, they, in, in, in a way that nobody else really has ever had the opportunity in such a direct personal way, they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ when he was on earth. But the truth is, we too can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In the same way the disciples did. And we haven't got the benefit of personally being with Jesus in the way that they physically were. And we see it elsewhere in, in John. In John 6 verse 68. When people were deserting Jesus in their droves. You do not want to leave too, do you? Peter, Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They recognized that of all the people, of all the people, it's the person of Jesus that they stayed with. And Jesus said in verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Again, Jesus is praying for the disciples. And, and, it, and this, this passage may as well have been written for us as, as, as the successors to the disciples today. That Jesus is praying for us. Have you ever even thought about, uh, reflected on how amazing that is? The fact that Jesus there is is praying for us. He, he, he he's, as we'll go on to see, he he wants the very best for us to protect us. Verse ten: All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. You see, again, greater glory is being given to God through the disciples. Through the fact that uh, God has achieved his work on earth through what has happened with the disciples. Now, you may not have heard of this man. He, I'm, I'm a big fan of him. I'm currently reading uh, an autobiography of him. It's a guy called Hudson Taylor. And um, he was um, a son uh, of... Uh, a, 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 uh, I think, I think they, they were possibly clergy family in Barnsley in Yorkshire. And the, and the reason why uh, you find Chinese uh, people going on pilgrimage to Barnsley uh, these days is because Hudson Taylor is a very large part of why Christianity came to China in the first place. Um, he was converted um, in the mid-19th century and had a mission, had a vision to take the gospel to China. And what's really interesting about him is that he came from you know a pretty unremarkable background – but he was driven by this passion and this desire to go to China. And in the foreword to his autobiography, there's a, there's, there's a quote here that was quite telling by E.M. Bounds. He said, men, and, and when I use the term men, uh, I think we can use it interchangeably with women, but it's here it says men. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. What the church needs today is not more machinery, or better, or not, or new organisations, or more and more novel methods, but men for whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. The training of the twelve was the great, difficult, and enduring work of Jesus Christ. It is not great talents, or great learning, or great preachers that God needs, but men. Great in holiness, great in faith, great in love, 
Great in fidelity, great for God. Men always preaching by holy sermons in the pulpit, by holy lies out of it. These can mould a generation for God. And the legacy of Hudson Taylor was the fact that you've got millions, possibly even hundreds of millions of Christians in China today because he went out there and he started the China mission. And he was driven by that purpose, that purpose that started with the disciples. So then we move out from the how, well, um, so we start with the why, the, the, the mission. We move, we moved on to the how, how, how Jesus then takes on the mission by essentially taking the gospel to the disciples. And then what happens to the disciples from that? Well, we see in the passage that they are then sent out. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. A, a, a theme constantly of Jesus, the fact he's very aware that he is going to be leaving very soon. But he's going to be leaving the disciples behind to carry on his work. And he says in verse 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So they're to go out with joy, as we saw in verse 13. But also, they are going to come under attack. And we looked at this three weeks ago, that persecution is an absolute reality. But notice, they're not going to be left alone in this. No, they're going to be protected from the evil one. They're given the protection of Jesus' prayer. And isn't that a wonderful promise? We know that as we go out on Jesus' mission, as the successors to the disciples, that we will be protected by Jesus' prayer. Now this is the back field behind where I grew up. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a school field. And when I was a kid, um, I, we used to play out here endlessly, um, playing football, playing cricket, uh, you know, in the, way, in the ways we describe to our children these days, and until it was dark and we could see no more, we used to play out there. Um, but there was one particularly memorable occasion when, um, or infamous occasion, uh, when we had some friends over and um, we, we, we were playing quite happily. We were sort of playing a sort of uh, hide and seek type game. Uh, and then some kids from the local area who we knew vaguely from school came over. Now, these were slightly rougher kids. And they decided that they would uh, join in on our game. And we weren't overly keen about them joining in our game, but we let them. Anyway, it did turn slightly unpleasant after a while because one of the slightly more brutal kids decided to kidnap one of one of our friends and took him into the corner of the field. At which point that we thought, this has got out of hand. And what do you do when things get out of hand when you're about nine? You get your dad. So uh, I never forget my father coming charging over the fence, wellies, legging over the field. And as they, as these local rough kids saw the sight of my father legging it towards them, they scattered in all directions and so on. And we knew from that point that we were safe. And that image of protection, that's the kind of image that we're talking about here, that we know that we actually have a father who will protect us in those situations. It's a strong image to us, particularly when we were children, that image of protection. And it doesn't stop at joy, it doesn't stop at protection. But actually, the other thing that is promised here in verse 17 is sanctification. 
Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Because Jesus prays for sanctification of the disciples through the preaching of the word. Now, what do we mean by this phrase, sanctify? Well, the definition of it is to set apart or declare holy, to concentrate. We think, well, how can this be? Because Jesus is using imperfect human beings to preach his word, to tell the world this message. How can he do that? Well, there's an amazing thing here. Then, as Jesus says in verse 19, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. What Jesus is saying is that by virtue of him going to the cross, effectively, he then sets apart Christians clean to go out and, and, and tell people the gospel, to be set apart. It's, it's an incredible thing. So we've got these, with the, 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 these things as they're sent out into the world. And then we go back to verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This is how God's mission is completed. By the disciples, these 11 who go out. Actually, a remarkable thing if you think about it. You think of the size of the Christian church today. The number of people, you know, possibly a billion people today, who, who've been to church or whatever around the world. And it started with 11. These 11 who were sent out by Jesus. The disciples are carrying on the mission of Jesus. And we are carrying on the mantle of the disciples. Because they're sent out with joy. It's not a reluctant mission at all. It's a mission where they're sent out with the joy uh, of expectation. They're sent out with protection. And they're set apart having been sanctified, set apart for the mission. And what a mission it is. I mean, here are we in, in, in the middle of a, of a town, and we'll have some argument as to the size of this town. I think it's probably closer to 27,000 than the 23 that Jim was talking about last week. But the point out, it's a reasonable-sized town. And we're here, as part of other Christians within this town, charged with this mission, charged with taking it out to the vast numbers of people out there who don't know about Jesus Christ. And actually, what a joy and what a privilege that is to be given that mission, that mission from none other than God himself, to go out with excitement in our hearts and think, well, yes, we, 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 we can do this. What a privilege it is. Now, I'm just going to finish with a clip. Now, this is not a Christian clip at all, but this effectively encapsulates something which I just want you to reflect on um, as, as we close. And I'll just say a couple of words after this clip has completed before we sing. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The, the question that you really should ask is, how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie, because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is, is it's me, I travel around the country and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. <laughs> and in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this, and it's 
you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Yes, cool. sir. All right, so... um. Let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, "Amazing Grace." Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow, that brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Uh, now, what you give me the version is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the that saved a wretch like me. Here's what I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. And the point of that, to show you, is that if you know your mission, if you know that actually you're on a mission from God. If you know you're on a mission from the fact that none other been sent than none other than Jesus Christ, and that we are the part of the fulfilment of that mission, that should have a transformative effect on us. Because all too often we talk about the Christian life, and it's talk about well, we're Christians, yeah, we believe in this, we go to church, that that that's that's the what we are and what's the how we are, and we kind of end up with the why we do it at the end. But actually the truth is it should be the other way around. And when we're talking to people about Jesus Christ, we should start with that personal relationship. The fact that it's burning in our hearts. If we really believe it, actually starting with the why we do it is, is, is the challenge today. And then everything else should follow out with the purpose of that. Now we're going to close by uh, singing a song and you'll be unsurprised to learn that the song we're going to be singing is that one that was just sung then. Now, no pressure, Jim, uh, at all, as you lead us. But uh, let, let's really sing this song like we really mean it, if we, if we do indeed mean it. <laughs> 